We believe greater investments in supporting subject matter experts, providing practice opportunities, evaluating impact, and telling a coherent value story can pay off exponentially for learning businesses. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. The average learning business does a lot, and its work often includes many complicated processes and intricate tasks. Add what a learning business could or should do to what it already does, and the list of possibilities is potentially infinite and definitely overwhelming. And we want to help with that sense of overwhelm by focusing today's episode, number 380, on four areas where we think investing more time and energy will pay off for learning businesses. These areas are often overlooked or ignored, usually not out of any ill intent or or negligence, but simply out of a lack of clarity around how to direct and focus limited resources. And the four areas that we're focusing on today are one, supporting subject matter experts, two, providing practice opportunities, three, evaluating impact, and fourth and finally, telling a coherent value story. So let's take those in order, I suppose, and we can start with supporting subject matter experts. And if you think of these in sort of a do this versus not that column, The do this here is to support your SMEs, support those subject matter experts, as opposed to... Do not assume that your subject matter experts know how to teach. Because the truth is, many of them don't. We've witnessed this ourselves, we've experienced it ourselves, and you can't assume that just because somebody has deep expertise in their subject matter, which is why you choose them to deliver the learning experience, that they actually know how to convey that effectively to adult learners. Right, and we've talked before on the podcast that both you and I did some teaching in graduate school, and the assumption there was because we knew the content, we could teach, or we could teach with sort of minimal training and support. Yeah, and that's sort of a word of caution to organizations that may be relying on you know PhDs or people coming from academia to deliver their content, that even those people may not know how to teach well because it just is not something that's prioritized in academia you know where it's a when those people get out into the actual academic world and hold jobs at universities it's that publisher parish world they're really focused on the expertise not necessarily the teaching of the expertise and of course that's going to apply you know if you're dealing with tradespeople, if you're dealing with professionals out in any of the, the big professions you don't even have that academic background but they do have the expertise You just can't assume that they know how to teach in a way that's going to effectively create the transfer that we're looking for in terms of knowledge and and experience with our learners. Right. So it's take that term subject matter expert at face value and recognize that they may be experts in whatever subject matter you're asking them to teach or facilitate online or offline learning experiences with but do not assume that they also understand andragogy or how to effectively support adult learners. Right, they need that support from you. You need to help them with becoming much better instructors, much better facilitators of learning. And I think this happens, as you're already saying, across all types of of fields. And I was thinking too, when you spoke to Manny 
Avramides of the American Management Association a few episodes ago, he quoted a statistic. He said that 57% of the 24 million people who are classified as managers in this country receive zero formal management training. So this is sort of a corollary to this issue of, you know, just because someone is an expert in a particular field, don't assume they can teach. Just because someone's sort of promoted into a management role, don't necessarily assume that they can manage. There are places where we need to be supporting people. We need to better support managers, as Manny was speaking to. But what we're talking about today is really better supporting your subject matter experts. Right. Those people, and there probably are millions of them classified as subject matter experts. How do we help them become uh, better teachers, better instructors? And it can be challenging to do that. We acknowledge this. We know that this is tough. You know, in the first place, getting the time and attention from those subject matter experts to really focus in on the teaching and your hopes for them and being a better instructor, even harder probably when they're volunteers. You know, so they're giving you this time, they're not being paid for it. And you somehow have to convince them that investing some of their time into being that better instructor, being that better facilitator is the right thing to do. Right. So that's definitely a challenge. That's why as obvious as it can sound that you need to support your subject matter experts, just getting their attention and their time, that's a real challenge. So we get that. And that can be part of why doing this obvious thing doesn't happen as often as it should. I think another challenge is how do you help them? Mm -hmm. So you know that you need to support them, but how do you actually go about conveying to them key tenets of what it means to facilitate and help adult learners learn as effectively as possible? Right, I mean, a lot of organizations, you know, you'll, you'll do things like put together a PowerPoint template for them to use, hold some sessions around logistics, maybe throw a few pointers out there like, you know, be more interactive. We see that a lot. Be more interactive. And, you know, what, what's the SME going to do with that? We don't quite know in most instances. So, you know, there's some lightweight ways that you can provide a little bit of support, but we're talking about real structure here, you know, really educating th these people on how to be better presenters, how to be better facilitators. As it happens, we do have a, a resource around this that, that uh, helps to provide that structure in a way that really does move them from having their raw subject matter expertise to being able to create presentations, at least, that are going to be much more effective educationally. Yeah, we were lucky to get to work with a learning business that had decided to invest right. in supporting its subject matter experts to develop that course initially. It's now something that we make available. It's called Presenting for Impact. We'll make sure in the show notes to provide information where you can learn more about it. But in summary, you know, Jeff, what you and I did was we really sort of looked at what we know about learning and thought, what are the kind of the top takeaways that could help most presenters do a better job in developing their session and then in delivering their session? So we do things where we focus on things like cognitive load and what that means in terms of you really need to prune back your content. You need to also make sure that whatever visuals or slides and things you're using really support the key learning points. So it's meant to be very practical. It takes about an hour for yeah, people to go, to go through. So, you know, again, back to that sort of challenge of you got to get their time and attention. But if they're willing to invest an hour, they can learn a lot in that time about what they might be able to do in how they develop their presentations and deliver them to make them more effective. Right. And we try to practice what we preach in other areas of this podcast. Like we do, we align it around practice opportunities for them to actually be applying 
what we're conveying to them. And, and we do, we also try to do the minimum effective dose because we know that the time constraints are there. You know, we're not going to get people to tune into a, a big, long course around this, but to take an hour and some, and then some practice on what you learn in that hour, most people, you know, would be willing to do that. And we don't, we're not focusing on bells and whistles or things like that. We're focusing on things that are just easily within the grasp of any subject matter expert to take and, and make some improvements. And did we mention that this is free? So presenting for impact, check out the show notes for this episode at uh, leadinglearning.com slash episode 380. And you'll find a link to that, or you can always find it in the navigation at the, the leading learning website. But we wanted to do this because we wanted to provide organizations with a resource that helps to support subject matter experts. And because we recognize that really this is the, the sort of proverbial win, win, win situation. That's right. If you support your subject matter experts, hopefully that translates into them feeling appreciated. And then when the subject matter experts get a little bit better at how they develop and deliver their content, then of course, learners will benefit from those better experiences. And then of course, that's going to redound to the benefit of your learning business because you're going to have satisfied customers and then hopefully repeat customers because they can see the quality, the high quality of the instruction that you're providing. So everybody's happy. And really, we, you know, we covered this one first because, because I think it really is the low-hanging fruit for all learning businesses. I think there's not a learning business out there that couldn't benefit from supporting their subject matter experts better than they probably are currently. So that's our first one in the do this column, supporting those SMEs and the don't do that. It's don't assume that subject matter experts know how to teach. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services. So our second area of focus is around providing practice and application opportunities as part of your learning business's portfolio. And Jeff, you already alluded to this in passing when we were talking about presenting for impact when we developed that course, we really did build in opportunities for the subject matter expert going through that to pause and think about a presentation that they're working on, apply those concepts, then resume, and so on and so forth. So again, we do always try to practice what we preach. But for this one, we're saying do provide practice and application opportunities as part of your portfolio. That's the do this column. What's the not that, Jeff? Don't assume that learners are going to practice and apply whatever they've been taught on their own after the fact, because most of them simply aren't. They're going to go back to work or whatever, and life's going to take over, work's going to take over. And well, we all know the forgetting curve that within a few days, most of it's going to be gone because they haven't actually practiced it. They haven't applied it. Right. And so even the best intention of, of learners, it's just they're kind of fighting an uphill battle yeah. to carve out the time to practice and apply once they get back to sort of their usual lives. Again, this is an area where we have some resources that we can point to help you and your learning business get more intentional about providing practice and application opportunities. 
Right. So for example, we did an episode dedicated to practice and feedback. This was episode 276, which you can you know search for on the Leading Learning site, or obviously we will link to that in the show notes so you can get to it. And something we talk about there, and we should talk about this a little bit here, is what constitutes practice, because it doesn't necessarily have to be anything complicated. You just mentioned, you know, pausing and giving presenters the opportunity to actually do some of the things, you know, to their presentation that we've been talking about and presenting for impact. It can be pausing and having people reflect and then talk about how a particular concept that's been introduced in in a webinar or a a seminar of some sort, how that actually applies to their day-to-day work, have them do that sort of elaboration. It can be testing. I mean, testing is a form of of practice, you know, draws on effortful retrieval, which we know is one of the, the, the key practices that can make learning stick and whether that's a simple quiz or or whether it's you know full-blown high stakes exam that can be a very useful form of practice right so this does not mean you have to have or build a hands-on lab where your learners are going to be or simulation or do a a simulation certainly you can do those things and if they're fantastic if you're able to but (laughs) and if they make sense for what you're teaching absolutely but to your point jeff this can just be very simple basically the idea with practice is you just want to give the learners an opportunity to perform something based on what they're learning and by performing that often that's going to allow them to then think about how that skill or knowledge applies to what they do on a daily basis so it's also going to get into a little bit of that how do you actually apply this in your own situation And we recently put out uh, an executive briefing called Practice Makes Profit, and the subtitle is The Business and Learning Case for Practice. And in there, we really do sort of unpack different types of practice, and we look at different conditions that support practice, and then also different tactics that you can use, six tactics in, in particular. So we think that's a very practical look at practice, and we encourage you to check out that executive briefing if you haven't already. And we also had a a recent podcast episode where we took more of a a case study approach to practice in episode 377. Jeff, I talked to you about kind of a a performance project, which involves you practicing performance of uh, singing and guitar playing. Right. I was sort of putting the, the spotlight, so to speak, there. And this is my own little sort of deliberate practice attempt, uh, my attempt to get at least some subset of the 10,000 hours, you know, that's famous for taking somebody to mastery in a, in a particular area. And for me, this is in being a singer, songwriter, performer. And so really putting a lot of hours recently into getting on a stage in front of people with my material as often as possible and learning from both actually being up there and in the moment of doing that, but then all the preparation that goes into that, what I then take away from that and apply to whether it's revising my songs or preparing for the next time that I get up in, in front of an audience of people. But you know, I guess the meta point in all of this is we all have these opportunities for practice in our lives that we're more or less intentional, more or less conscious about. And the message to learning businesses is figure out how to make those more intentional, figure out how to make them more conscious for your learners in whatever subject matter you're trying to educate them in and increase their learning in. We touched on challenges when we were talking about supporting subject matter experts. I think maybe we could touch on some challenges related to this one as well, providing 
practice or more practice opportunities as part of your portfolio. I mean, one issue around practice is the one we already touched on, which is simply that if you leave it to learners and outside of the learning experience, just the the odds are low that only a small percentage of of learners are going to actually do that and do that practice work on their own. In terms of from the learning business perspective, I think one of the challenges can be that they're well, gets back to our first one, I think sometimes subject matter experts, they have so much that they want to impart around the content that they're passionate about, that they Mm -hmm. know so much about, that they don't want to leave time in a session, for example, for there to be practice. Right. And so there's that sort of pruning that has to happen. So there's supporting the subject matter experts is going to help with practice opportunities because when those subject matter experts begin to understand the need to really prune their content down to the essential. And then the fact that that creates some space where there are practice opportunities. And we know that practice is how we move information out of our short-term memory into our long-term memory. Once they appreciate that, they're going to support that. So I think that there's just a certain amount of awareness that can be a challenge around this uh, providing practice opportunities. Yeah, I think it's the awareness and just getting past the idea that it's more complicated than it really is. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be difficult to provide practice. And as soon as you do, I mean, you know, all those wins are there. Once again, it's great for the learner. You know, the learning is going to stick much better. They're actually going to be able to get use out of the learning. They're going to look back at you as the organization that helped make that happen. You're almost certainly going to get some measurable data out of providing practice opportunities that you can then feed into your future product development and your marketing. And then for your subject matter experts, again, you know, the, the, the satisfaction, if you're somebody who does have expertise in being able to see somebody take what you've taught them and apply it, I mean, for me, that's like the ultimate victory in teaching. So you're, you're providing them with a way to have that victory. The third area we want to talk about today is evaluating impact. And so in the do this column is evaluate impact in meaningful ways, especially long-term impact. And then the not that column, what you don't want to do is you don't want to rely on single instance smile sheets that are completed by a handful of participants, usually immediately following the whatever the learning uh, interaction is. I'm thinking about uh, a conversation that you had recently with Will Tallheimer for uh, the podcast, actually the episode right before this one, number 379. I mean, Will is so thoughtful about learner evaluation. And I know in that conversation, he points out the fact that organizations so often complain about the abysmal completion rates mm-hmm. on on evaluation. So often you're maybe asking about the wrong things, you know, you're asking more about the satisfaction. So that's the smile sheet issue, right? Like, you know, how happy did this make people feel rather than actually looking at what did they learn? And so you're maybe asking about the wrong things and you're tending to get a very insignificant response rate to it. So it makes it very hard to actually do anything very meaningful with learner evaluation. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of organizations shy away from doing more than that relatively easy to execute survey at the end of a course, webinar, conference session, whatever it is, because it's hard to get people to participate in it and, and get that meaningful feedback over time. I like that, you know, one of Will's positions on that is that we're just, we're not asking good questions, basically. That's sort of the root of non-participation. And sure, there are other reasons, but I think he's right because, you know, you look at the kind of evaluations you get from 
the experiences you participate in. And a lot of it's just, did you like it sort of stuff, which is fine, you know, and I'll tell you I liked it or I didn't like it or whatever. But then beyond that, you hardly ever get asked anything meaningful. And he's a big proponent of asking questions that signal to the learner that you're taking them seriously, that you're trying to get stuff that really is going to change things going forward and that you're making that promise that you are gonna change things based on the types of responses that you're getting from them. And he's developed sort of his whole methodology into what he characterizes as distinctive questioning. So just really upping your game with what you're asking and how you're asking in your evaluations. And, and learners get that. They, they understand that this is somebody who really is like kind of watching out for, for me and my learning, and I'm willing to respond in, in this instance. One of the other things he suggests is building in time for evaluation in the learning experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rather than sending out that, you know, link to the smile sheet the next day or even an hour later, actually build in time because that will increase your response rate. Kind of gets back to what we were saying about practice, where if you build in the time for practice in the learning experience, you can have more people start practicing things. Same thing with evaluation. If you build in time for that evaluation, you're gonna have more people completing that evaluation. I'll point people back to that last episode 379 for more tips, because that's one of the wonderful things about Will Tallheimer's work is just that he is very practical about you know how to get better at learner evaluation. One of the other episodes that I would really point people back to if you're thinking about how to really get some meaningful data around impact is episode 277 with Rob Brinkerhoff and Daniela Schroeder. And they were talking in that episode around this about the success case method, which is a really interesting approach to looking at who is really benefiting from your learning experiences and then talking to them about it, about why. And so it's really about focusing on the people that it's working for and then kind of deconstructing why so that then you can hopefully make the learning experience work well for even more learners over time. But it's a relatively lightweight approach to getting some really useful information around how you might be able to improve your products, but then also to what you could use to market your products. You could you know, hold up those success cases as effective marketing tools as well. Yeah, I mean, I love that approach. I think of it as essentially kind of story-based. So you're getting stories from the people who have benefited from your learning. Another place that's great, like you said, it can be used product development, marketing, the types of quotes that you can often take out of those stories that you have with those success cases tend to be very powerful with boards and committees who have to approve budgeting often for the development of different learning offerings. So definitely worth familiarizing yourself with uh, the Brinkerhoff uh, success case method and potentially using that. And uh, partly because it's just, it, it has so much value, but a lot of the value in that is it tends to be a longer term look at evaluation and impact as well. Because so often all we're doing is measuring, you know, really close to the learning experience. And you can maybe see the dial has been moved a little bit there, but does it stick? What actually happens over the long term with the learning experiences we're providing. The Brinkerhoff method is one great approach for doing more with the long term. I think continuing to send out evaluations, you know, survey type evaluations, you want to do as well. And I'll once again take us back to square one on this to your subject matter experts, because they are some of your biggest proponents around this. A, as you were saying, Salisa, making time during the experience for the evaluation 
whoever's teaching, whoever's facilitating has to lead that happening. B, making sure they take it seriously, because I don't know how many sessions I've been and we get to the end of like, yeah, you know, the so-and-so organization wants me to have you fill these out. So, you know, please do it. Please give me good ratings so I can come back and, and speak again. That's not very inspiring to your, your average learner to actually do it and take it seriously. So for the subject matter experts to actually recognize it in the learning experience, at the end of the learning experience, and to tee up the expectation that the learner is going to be contacted over time about whether this was successful or not. I mean, all of that can be done with the subject matter experts. So again, back to square one, supporting your subject matter experts is a step towards this number three that we're talking about around evaluating impact in meaningful ways. And I would think that the distinctive questioning that Will Talheimer talks about opens up the opportunity for an evaluation to actually deepen the learning for the learner. I mean, I think how powerful would that be if you're completing an evaluation and as part of that, you actually have an aha about, you know, some takeaway from the session. I mean, that's, to my mind, could be, you know, a wonderful goal to have for your evaluations. How can you actually make it valuable to that subject matter expert who's delivering the session to the learning business who's Mm -hmm. looking at that data, but then also for the learner. Yeah, and and of course, I mean, evaluations, they're surveys, they're not assessments, but they can provide practice opportunities because if you're asking somebody to think about, you know, I can propose a question. The question might be, think about what you've learned, you know, during this course today and how you're actually going to apply it when you get back into work how much is this going to help you with doing your job on a day-to-day basis going forward? Well, if you ask somebody that question, they have to think about it. They have to start connecting the dots, doing the kind of elaboration that really is a form of practice to support learning and make that learning stick. And then they're giving you some meaningful feedback based on that. Again, we're back to these win-win-wins going on all over the place. The fourth and final area we want to talk about today is telling a coherent value story. So that's definitely in the do this column. And then the not that column, what you don't want to do is assume that potential learners understand the value of your offerings, how they connect together and how to choose among your offerings and between your offerings and competitive ones. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in in that do not um, there. And so I I think often learning businesses do a lot of the work to really think through a a product and to put together a hopefully compelling offering. But they've done all that work. They've done all that thinking. And then I think kind of too often the way it can get translated into it's a list of features, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than really talking about the value that a learner can expect from the experience. So that's one aspect is where I think often we focus too much on features rather than value. I think also another area is just around language issues, right? Like we we might have things that we know we mean when we say seminar or conference or course, but other people might bring sort of different expectations to those terms. And so I, I think we have to work a little bit to make sure that we're providing enough information that learners really do understand how what we're offering might compare to other things that they've participated in. And I think we all know when we stop to think about it that 
all conferences are not alike. But once we sort of read that term conference, you know, I'm bringing a lot of baggage to that term based on my experience with conferences. When you see that term, Jeff, you're bringing your baggage and experience to that term as well. So there's a lot to do around focusing less on sort of terms and features and more around value. And I think as part of that, focusing on context as well, like organizations often don't do a good job of contextualizing a particular offering. I mean, usually if you're serving a particular or a specific field or industry, you've got a variety of different learning experiences you're offering. And the truth is that there's probably different levels of value to them, different ways they fit into the overall experience that you can provide to learners. So, you know, you might have something that's kind of brief and, and really meant to be introductory that, you know, you're offering for free or, or at a very low cost. And it's there to help a specific type of learner in a specific way. You need to communicate that, like that's what it's intended for. And then also communicate how it fits into the path that they may follow from there. Like what's the next step beyond there? What's the step beyond that? You know, how is it building a value for the learner over time to ultimately get them to the point where they've mastered or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use around that body of knowledge, that body of skill, and giving them a story that they can see themselves participating in as they progress through the different types of learning experiences that you provide. Often that's going to be a visual thing. And, and in fact, we provide a way that, that you can visualize that type of process. Right. It's usually a visualization for the learning business. Right, it's right. often not something that you necessarily expose to the learner. Though you can. I mean, you could. You know, we're fans of, you know, structuring learning paths and showing those paths to the, the, the learners. Maybe a little different from what we're talking about doing internally, but it flows out of what we're talking about doing internally. Yeah. For the internal use case, we have a tool called the value ramp. And we talked about that most recently in episode 315, where we sort of explain how it works, but maybe we can just briefly re-explain it here, Jeff. Yeah, you know, the main thing with the value ramp is that there's a strong correlation, or there should be a strong correlation between price and value. This is something that learning businesses have often not been as intentional, as conscious about as, as they should be. But you are, again, you know, sometimes going to have offerings that are valuable, but they're you know, they're lower in value. I mean, you have some learning experiences that are sort of, you know, you're a rock star, immersive, going deep, really taking it to a whole new level type experiences, which you want to have in your portfolio. Those are very high value and they should be commensurately high priced. But then typically you're going to have some things that are maybe much more focused, just a nugget of knowledge or, you know, very short introductory type thing, or there may be other reasons why it's, it's certainly valuable, but you're not going to get the same level of value out of that. And the pricing for that should be commensurately low or free. And then there's this idea that you want to really sort of plot things out along a value ramp, starting low, low, lower value, lower price or free, and then ramping up to higher value, higher price, and really kind of building momentum to help guide your learners up that value ramp to those highest value, highest priced uh, offerings. And we do have an illustration of this that we'll make sure to include in the show notes and, and also link to other information about it. Now for the cynically inclined, if we happen to have any of those among our listeners, no, no, no. <laughs> but the cynically inclined might find it kind of overly convenient that the four areas that we focused on in this episode are areas where we happen to have resources. And I always sort of think of 
Rohit Bhargava talking about, you know, beware when hammers are us proclaims it the year of the nail, for example. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> Rohit's a good one for uh, those sorts of perspectives, but these were hard earned. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we've observed a lot of learning businesses. We go through this stuff ourselves. I mean, we have to wrestle with all of these same things. So we're in the trenches as a learning business. And we develop these resources because of that experience, uh, working in and with learning businesses and seeing where giving even just a little more focus and uh, a little more attention would pay big dividends. Yes. So all of these resources are free. We really are offering these four areas to focus on, these related resources, not in any particularly self-serving way, but just because to echo what you said, Jeff, we really do see these as areas where if learning businesses can be a little bit more intentional and invest a little bit more, we think it will really pay off. And we challenge you. I mean, this here we are at the practice part of this particular podcast to Think about each of these, supporting your subject matter experts better, providing practice and application opportunities, evaluating impact in, in meaningful and particularly long-term ways, and telling that coherent value story. A, to what extent have you thought about each of these consciously before? B, to what extent have you discussed them within your organization? And do you have an ongoing discussion around it? And then C, how well are you doing with each of them? And I think you can you know, hit pause or wait till the end of the, the podcast, whatever it is, but spend five or 10 minutes just thinking about that and then deciding what you might do about those things going forward. Learning business leaders literally make thousands of decisions a day, which can make it really hard to clearly see where adding more to the long to-do list will pay off. But we believe greater investments in supporting subject matter experts, providing practice opportunities, evaluating impact, and telling a coherent value story can pay off exponentially for learning businesses. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 380, you'll find show notes, a transcript, and options for subscribing to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. We'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Jeff and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one -on -one note or conversation with a colleague, or you can do it through social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 380, you'll find links to connect with us on X, formerly Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm.